Welcome to Know Your Neighbor. I'm Allison Geist, one of the hosts of this podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Whit Richardson. This podcast is hosted by United Way of Northeast Georgia, and we are thrilled that you wanted to tune in to another episode. This week's episode features a sound engineer from the Georgia Theater who has quite the story and experience of adventuring around the world with bands and musicians alike, and he is here today to share with you and all of us about why he settled in Athens and why this Northeast Georgia region is home to him after growing up overseas. So let's tune in. Good afternoon, Allison. Hey there, Wit. How are you today? I'm great. I'm really excited to get to know our neighbor today. We have Colm O'Reilly as our guest. Welcome, Colm. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, with a name like Colm, can you just give us a little bit about your background? Well, I'm from Ireland originally, and I moved to the States in about... 1987, I think. I moved to Athens in 1997. So in between, I lived in New York, Providence, Rhode Island, Canada, California. I was kind of on the road most of the time. So, you know, to say I live somewhere is basically to mean I kept a bag in a you know, <laughs> flat or a house somewhere. Sometimes friends couch surfing, all that kind of stuff in the early days. Yeah, I did a lot of, I was a touring sound guy when I was in, um, in Ireland and worked with some great artists there, lots of folk and traditional music, and that was kind of my, uh, my background. So I guess, what drew you to music initially? Uh, well, uh, my father was a great um, lover of Irish traditional music, and I was lucky enough to be dragged around to uh, all kinds of festivals with him and got to hear and see some amazing old players. And then um, the youngest six. So, you know, we had a few generations older than me of lots of uh, albums piling up in the living room and I got to listen to all kinds of stuff. And then it was, oh, let's see, 15, I think we moved to, uh, from the village where I lived, we moved to the local town. And uh, that was a big deal for us. It was a bigger school, lots of cool kids joined a band, learned all about The Clash, and that was it. <laughs> the only band that matters. You lived lots of places, or at least cruised around to a lot of places. <laughs> You've been in Athens, you said, since 97. Yeah. What, what was the uh, tipping point to bring you to this town? A beautiful woman by the name of Christy Condon, <laughs> who I met on tour. Um, she was a nanny for a band that we were touring with called Throwing Muses, and I was the sound guy. And I toured with uh, those guys, you know, a few times before, and um, I was, where was I? I was living in California at the time, and I went to Europe to set up the tour ahead of time for everybody. And then they all rolled in, and there was this nanny on the bus taking care of Kristen's uh, little boy, little boy at the time. and uh, And now... You know, we got married two months later, basically. Wow. <laughs> we met in February. We got married in April. Well, you were probably spending lots of quality time together. Well, with, with a three-year-old. And most of the people that we met thought that we were the three-year-old's parents. And so it was kind of a given. If this is working, then, hey, 
This is working. Yeah. That's, a good, that that's a good indicator. <laughs> 25 years ago, last April. Wow. Fascinating. Congratulations. Yeah. And Christy, of so, course, is from, uh, you know, old Athens family here. And uh, we moved. We, initially, we lived in California, where I was. And um, then we moved back here to when we realized we're starting a family and Sage was on the way. We uh, came back to Athens to share Sage with uh, Christy's grandparents, who lived, still lived here at the time and have since passed. So it was a good, good choice. I think it's the, one of the finest places I've ever been. And I guess tell me a little bit about how you transitioned back into kind of a sedimentary a lifestyle in Athens and what you were doing for work? Uh, well, initially, when we moved back, I was still on the road and I was touring with um, a few big acts, so I couldn't really turn down the work that was coming in. You know, and we're starting a family, so we needed all the money we could get. Um, so I was on the road with um, Jewel at the time, um, Cowboy Junkies, John Prime, and luckily it kind of um, it worked out that when one act wasn't on the road, the other, the other act was about to go out. So there was hardly ever any overlap, which is great. And then I did that for about three years and then started to come off the road. Um, I joined the Classic Center as the house sound guy there and became part of the union there and did some, you know, install, sound install work for people. And uh, then through that, got to know some construction people. And uh, I ended up uh, working on construction for about seven years, just uh, swinging a hammer with some friends of mine uh, while the kids were little. So I was able to dictate my time and bring them to school in the morning and pick them up, you know, early and just have a few hours a day to swing a hammer. And uh, Christy, meanwhile, was um, going back to school and she became a, a nurse and then a nurse midwife and then got her master's in midwifery. And um, so Christy's the one with the real job, saving lives and making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, all I do is just uh, plug it in and turn it up. <laughs> so I was very lucky when Will Green, when the fire happened here, um, Will during the process had asked me if I'd come and join the team when they reopened. Um, so I was able to keep my hand in every now and again, filling in for people. And during those seven years, every now and again, somebody had called me to go out on tour and either do a little weekend thing or a one-off show here and there where, you know, where their sound guy couldn't make it or something. So that was awesome. It's really nice to be considered by such great people like John Prine as a, a fallback when his sound guy couldn't make it or something. And so it was a good few years and uh, a lot of hard work, but we made it, we made, uh, made the family work. And I think we've got two incredible kids. So. so traveling for work is hard enough, but your particular work, I don't think people realize how intense your job can be. And I know you say you plug it in and things like that, but there are a lot of components to what you're doing. Um, what was that like coming from working on the road to working more in-house when you came to Athens? Um, well, the great part of it was that I, um, I was aware of what it was like to be the guy getting off the bus and coming into a venue and hoping that they had some good gear and hoping that the house guy was a nice guy and knew what he was doing. And 
you know, hoping that, you know, you're going to get fed or all that stuff. So knowing all of that, being on this side for me, I can read it. You know, as soon as they show up in a bus, I can read the vibe of the bus from the bus driver. <laughs> and, and from then on, you know, they, you know, I'm sure I was like that too. Sometimes people roll off a bus all grumpy and annoyed and they walk into this. They might have a ton of gear and to, to them, this is a small, tiny little stage and, you know, they're, they're uh, racking their brains how they're going to make it all work. And uh, we just casually and calmly help them out and, and uh, get them set up. And usually by the time they're leaving, you know, nine out of 10 times, they're in love with us and love the place and it's their favorite venue and they can't wait to come back. So uh, it's been a great experience that way. And it's been also, for me, a great experience to be able to share that then with uh, our local staff. And, you know, we do an internship with uh, MBUS, the music business school here in town. So. We've gotten to, you know, um, I wouldn't say train, but at least give the experience to a lot of kids who wouldn't otherwise have had that experience of being able to load in a show, set it up. And some of them who are really, really, really good and technically minded have been able to mix shows and record shows and work on lighting and all the various aspects, you know, so it's been a good thing. Do want to ask, I mean, working with such a diverse a group of artists, tour managers, production managers. Can you dig into the details a little bit of some of maybe the pinnacle moments? And then also if there's any like horror stories you remember, could you just share with our audience some um, those specific <laughs> memories? From here in the theater or on the road? Either, the ones that really stand out to you. <laughs> oh, let's see. Well, shoot, there's been uh, quite a few. Um, well, let's see. Uh, well, we could start in Ireland. <laughs> um, you know, this is back in the 80s when I was touring, so the mid 80s. And those were the days when, you know, if you, the, one of the artists that I worked with is a man called Christy Moore. So he's a pretty well known Irish folk artist. And um, so we do a show, let's say in Belfast or Derry, and then you're coming across the border at night uh, back to, you know, we lived in the Midlands down in a place called Mullingar. And uh, coming across the border at night, back in those days, if you look down at your chest, you've got about 12, you know, 10 to 12 floating red dots somewhere around your heart. And uh, that was life in those days. And then you roll up on a, on a, in a cross border crossing and these guys appear with guns pointed at your van, all dressed in, uh, <laughs> all dressed in camouflage and bushes hanging out of their helmets and stuff. And uh, you get searched and you move on. And that was just the way it was. And then that was a hell of an experience when I was 19. That was the first time I came across that when I was 19 years old. And then, of course, things are different now up there, thankfully. You know, being in one place, you still, you still encounter so many different people, so many different artists. Um, what is it like to work, um, work with the variety of bands and artists that you work with now because the Georgia theater has an array of um, mm -hmm. people who who perform there and so I imagine that just looks different every night absolutely yeah exactly it's it's uh, like a study in human behavior um, <laughs> the crowds are you know oftentimes completely different from night to night you know but uh, haven't you know even in that there'll be if it's like a bunch of 
let's say we have one week where we have three or four country shows and one DJ show and one rock show in there, those three country shows would be three different crowds. There's such a, a, a variety of the, you know, the country genre. It's been an experience, a learning experience for me too, because uh, certainly dance music was not in my wheelhouse. You know, dubstep is still not my favorite, but you know, we have to be, uh, we deal with what we deal with. And, uh, and then everything else, we've had everything from Willie Nelson to Marilyn Manson here, you know? And uh, probably production wise, you know, some of the better shows I've seen have been our, you know, better shows for me, like, you know, the uplifting experience for me would be one of the opening acts on a big night, like that might be band number two of a four band bill, you know, and the, the headliners have their own engineer, the next band has their own engineer. So I just get to mix the two local acts or they may not be local. They could have driven in from, you know, somewhere in Indiana or wherever, or Minneapolis or something. And I'll be blown away, just absolutely blown away by the talent of these kids. And for me, it'll blow away the, the, the headliner act for sure, you know, because these kids are just so happy to be here that they're not necessarily going through the motions like some of the headliners, you know. So that's a great experience for me and a learning experience too, to get, a, get my head around different music. And, and it all requires different ways of mixing stuff too, you know, like the way I'd mix a, you know, one of the more modern sort of, um, let's say, Tame Impala kind of sounding bands, you know. The way you mix that is completely different to the way you mix, you know, Cowboy Junkies, which is just all open, tons of mics, real mics, you know. There is no, um, no sampling, there's no effects, there's no fanciness, it's just straight up, you are reproducing what's made on, on stage instead of trying to polish it into a, a production that's in somebody's head, you know, or polish it into a production that's in the heads of all the kids who are listening, because that's that's what they've heard on the album, and that's what they want to hear again live, you know. So it's a different way to approach every night. Do you study these artists before they come, so that you have a a good do, understanding yeah. of them? Yes, yeah. Uh, at least you know, throw up a couple of YouTube videos and and uh, listen to whatever they're current hit is or whatever you know and a lot of times I kind of hit or miss really that they'll have their own crew or not so I might assume that somebody some big name like for instance um, a couple of Nashville acts that I've been surprised that they, they didn't have their own people and I was you know really uh, honored to get to mix them and um, and yeah it is you definitely have to study up a little bit you know you don't want to be uh, you know putting a a wrong tone on a somebody's guitar that's completely you know uh not suitable for what they're used to you know uh and certainly there's a lot of the more modern stuff there's lots of vocal effects and things you know that you kind of need to be up to date with and what what they use on the album you kind of have to mimic that a little bit you know for live so uh so yeah some studying involved could you speak briefly about the technological change between soundboards and now Pro Tools and just what you've seen? Yeah. <laughs> well, coming back from seven years doing construction, and as I said, only a few shows in that, those years, it was a big learning curve for me because all the consoles in my day were all analog. And now 
everywhere is digital. Um, so yes, very, very much so a learning curve. I went to um, a few training sessions for different companies to learn their consoles and just to get a heads up on it. Um, and that was during those seven years. Just in case somebody did invite me out on a one-off and I saw a console and was, what do you do with this? I didn't want to be that guy, but um, so yeah, there's definitely been uh, um, huge changes. I mean, the amount of just the, the what do you call it? The, the floor space alone that we have for our console at the, the theater right now is tiny compared to what it can do like back in the old days to get something to do what I can do here on a you know three by two surface would have taken a desk like eight feet long several racks of stuff tons of cabling would have taken hours to set up with this I just roll in I plug in four cables and I'm connected I'm ready to go and I can do 128 channels I can also multi-track 128 channels if I wanted to I've got every effect I could ever imagine, you know, just all the tricks right there in a small little box. It's incredible. Absolutely mind blowing. I guess, do you have any advice for young sound engineers, production, um, people that are just getting into the trade? Uh, well, you know, it's the one thing about the digital format is that it has actually made it so much easier for younger people to get their head around it because they're so much more um, adept at using computers and basically these consoles are just a big computer it's a big mouse you know um, so I have been blown away by some of the interns that we've had come in here who you know for instance we got a new console a couple of years ago and uh, one of the great engineers in town Annie Leith was with us as an intern and she uh, looked over my shoulder as we're, you know, I'm trying to figure out what does this do and how do you get to there? And she was just, how about you just try it? And yes, there it was. So you get, you know, you get, you get taught by the youth and uh, got to be open to be learning from the youth. So for sure, like I said, because these kids are so adept at computer systems, most of these consoles are pretty easy for them to get around. It's having the ear to know just um, naturally, you know, what frequency is feeding back and what you can, you know, what you need to grab or um, what, uh, how you're going to actually patch something together from beginning to end. Those are the little nitty gritty things that just take a little bit of time and a little bit of training. And like I say, there's, um, I know Nucci Space are a great um, music camp, training camp, but they're also going to be starting a production um class i think in their in their new setup they have a new studio and i'm actually helping them put put a new pa in right now and uh, so they'll be they'll be up and at them in uh, by next year and and definitely doing some production training have there been any times where the science you're talking about of frequencies and things have conflicted with maybe say the artist um desire of how it should sound have you ever <laughs> experience that yes <laughs> um uh julio iglesias i uh, had the great privilege of traveling with him i was actually working for the pa company that he rented um a company called eighth day sound out of um, cleveland and uh 
they sent me out. I was, I was what they called the fly guy. So I would go in and fly the PAs every day. I'd be first off the bus and get the PA in the air and get all the, everything ready to go. And then the sound guys would come in and take over. Um, and Julio had two sound guys at the front of house and two sound guys in Monitor World. Monitor World is uh, the, for sound on stage. And that's kind of where my wheelhouse is. So when my flying job was done, I would hang out on stage with the monitor guy and help him out, you know, moving mics, moving monitors, whatever needed to be done. And um, Julio, I remember one show we were doing, he loved to have this huge reverb, like this insanely big reverb. And lots of venues we'd go to, people would be shouting between the songs, you know, turn off the echo, turn off the echo. And, uh, but that's the way Julio wanted it. And during the sound check, this one particular sound check, I remember those four guys all danced, like all around him in a circle, agreeing with him. I was making slight changes to his mic as they were telling me, because they were all on stage and they wanted to listen to what he was hearing. So I was making these slight changes for just whatever they asked me to do. And to me, it sounded like metal because it was had that super, you know, have you ever heard a microphone that's really free, freaking out on the very top, you know, it's super metally feedback sound, you know, like every syllable is zinging in the air. It was like that. Yeah, it was horrible. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to, of course, correct that and not have that happen. But that's what Julio wanted. He needed to have, and the thing was, as we discovered, he just wanted it to sound like a bullring. And that was his Im impression of a bullring. And if you think of it, it's kind of right, because if you put a speaker in a bullring, it's all, you know, concrete and metal all around. And it's, you know, just reverberant and kind of horrible sounding. It's like doing a gig in a gymnasium. All reflective surfaces, it's going to be hard to deal with. So yeah, my every um, instinct in my body was going, yeah, stop that but I couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> What's the coolest new artist or the artist that you like the most right now that you've just been introduced to? Oh, wow. Um, huh. Well, actually a local act um, called um, Hefner and another, um, um, well, Rose Big, um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard fan. <laughs> That's um that's really or an Australian sort of psychedelic uh, band. Uh yeah. There's there's always something new with the uh, with the teenagers in the house. Curiosity. You do late nights, obviously. Um, yep. You're at a show till late. You may not do this as much now, um, but if you are out late and you have to grab a bite to eat, where are you choosing to eat downtown? Doggone good barbecue. Nice. <laughs> They're open till three. <laughs> oh, All right. I was I was anticipating the grill and I was gonna say, yeah, that's fine, but mm -hmm. doggone is a very nice choice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Doggone's where it's at. Who who are you? <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh that's a good question. I'm very sedentary now. I am so happy to be in Athens, I cannot even tell you. I think it's the people in this town have been so great you know, um, gracious to me and, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure I've, you know, I've, I've been so lucky in this 
war or in this town to meet so many um, people of different backgrounds and all the you know people who've come and gone shoot I've I feel like I'm still a kind of a newbie in town but I guess we've been here 22 years now um, so it's pretty incredible that uh, this town just keeps giving and giving and giving you know and um, I'm very very grateful for all the friends and acquaintances and everybody I've met here. So I have to ask, did you ever get to see The Clash on tour? Never saw the actual Clash, but I did see Joe Strummer. When Joe was doing his, uh, his Central American Sandinista period, I saw him, believe it or not, in a gymnasium, in this tiny little um, gymnasium uh, in the south, down in Brixton. And it was incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Well, we're really grateful to have you, and we're really grateful to um, excited to hear what Rowan's going to be doing and some of the newer music, up and coming music in Athens. And we know that there's going to be a lot of great music to continue to come out of Athens. Appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. We are honored. Thank, Thank you, you guys. for spending so much time with us and telling your stories. My gosh, what what an experience! But. Well, I hope the people listening can understand this uh, Irish accent because a lot of times people look at me and they go, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> and then I hope you respond with that exact accent. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for doing what you do. I, I appreciate it. Uh, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Thanks to Colin O'Reilly and for my co-host Whit Richardson for joining us today on Know Your Neighbor. We had such a fun time hearing about all the fun stories of Cullum's past and his present as a sound engineer with the Georgia Theater. If you want to learn more about ways that you can plug into the workforce in our region, you can always reach out to us. We partner with many organizations who develop workforce development programs. We're also always happy to connect you with those we know and how we can get people working in our region. We hope you'll tune in next week for our next episode of Know Your Neighbor. Until then, we hope you will live united.